All right, everybody, don't drop that fast forward button. The sponsorship roll call is about to begin. Energy Consulting Limited provides complete project management and general contracting services to a variety of private sector clients on both commercial and residential construction projects. They act as the owner's representatives through the planning, design, budgeting, scheduling, construction, and occupancy processes. Clients appreciate their open, honest, and flexible approach to achieving their project goals. Although they're located in Surrey, BC, Energy works on projects all over the province, including the growing cities of the north and the beautiful coastal towns of Vancouver Island. They're always excited to explore new places and develop relationships with professionals wherever their clients' interests may be. Abacus North is a firm that specializes in mortgage banking solutions for complex projects. In addition to providing financing solutions in a traditional mortgage broker capacity, Abacus North provides direct loans that range from $2 million to $25 million. On a syndicated basis, they provide mortgage banking solutions up to $300 million. In most cases, their in-house capital solutions can bridge financing gaps that traditional lenders are unable to service. They specialize in providing land acquisition loans, construction financing for large-scale developments, income-producing properties, and single-purpose facilities. With a portfolio that includes high-rise, mid-rise, and low-rise condominiums, townhouse developments, shopping centers, agricultural properties, industrial developments, and medical marijuana facilities, Abacus North is at the forefront of creative mortgage banking solutions with a focus on fostering long-term relationships. They are a multifaceted organization that services domestic and international clients with their mortgage banking needs. Complex financing solutions require analytical thinking well beyond a typical mortgage broker relationship. As a result, they focus on providing engineered solutions for their client. Their key differentiation strategy is that they assist clients in actively managing the capital stack in order to minimize borrowing costs while maximizing flexibility. Abacus North focuses on national and global opportunities. Ascentia CPA has a team of new-gen chartered professional accountants that are dedicated to advancing companies using expertise combined with emerging technologies. The team at Ascentia will implement the latest accounting technologies, allowing you to not only run a business, but to run a smart business that will excel in your industry. Their focus is to provide growth-centric, value-added, and timely accounting services for businesses, as well as individuals across Canada. Unlike standard accounting firms, by embracing cloud-based software, the team at Ascentia will provide you with real-time accounting information on a secure platform that is accessible anywhere at any time, allowing you to make better informed decisions and gain more controlled overview of your financial data. The reliability and expertise you will experience with the professionals at Ascentia will assist you in the preparation of corporate and personal tax returns, financial statements, bookkeeping, government filings, tax and estate planning, as well as business advisory services. For more information on the advantages of online accounting and to book a complimentary meeting online, be sure to visit ascentiacpa.ca. We are all right so priscilla from wisconsin here we've been well, first of all, we were supposed to do this at one, and then with the whole um, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau thing, uh, kind of 
pushed it back with his COVID-19 announcement, so I had to ask Priscilla to allow us to be able to start this at 1.30, and she graciously said yes. And then, so we started it at 1.30 on Zoom, and I would take it with the amount of data that's being transferred over the internet right now. We've had nothing but problems for about the last 40 minutes. So now we're on WhatsApp, and we're recording it on Audacity instead of on Zoom. And uh, we've already done about 20 minutes, but we're going to scrap all that and restart. So again, for the second time, Priscilla, welcome to We Are I. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm super honored that you reached out to me. Oh, no problem, no problem. It's, it's actually my honor for you coming on and be able to share the story because that's exactly the concept behind We Are I is like all of us sharing our stories about how like we've all got here because everybody holds these like amazing capabilities inside of them and i really feel like you're one of those people because you know as soon as i seen that you were meat only diet this carnivore diet because i'm doing it right now but then also seeing that um you know like that you have a young child at home too and you're deciding to do a diet like this it just really fascinated and intrigued me about how you got to that point yeah so when i was younger i kind of was always you know wanting to take risks and do different what everyone thought was conventional, I wanted nothing to do with it. I always wanted to do something different. And that kind of works for me now. I had a lot of skin issues as well. Um, I had, you know, the chronic, chronically and like most frequently said um, depression, anxiety, stuff like that. But I had issues like IBS, constipation, vitiligo, um, just super fatigued and unmotivated in life. And I don't know about how you feel, but that is not the way we are supposed to be living life. And I knew that from a really early age that this is not how life is supposed to be. And finding that through food, that's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Like, why wouldn't anything that we consume have everything to do with our body, you know? And I feel like we don't we don't put two and two together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe because, like, that's going to be, like, our, our broad scope. And, and I completely agree. And I think, like, that... There's a huge disconnection with the value of the nutrition that we put in our body. You know, like we just we don't have the tools right now. We're not taught the tools to be able to appreciate the food that we put into our body and how it's going to affect our mind, our skin, our performance, our our cognitive thought process, like all of these things. Like there's direct correlations, and I feel like there's a huge resistance to people wanting to believe, you know, like how um, the correlation is that dramatic. Like it's not okay, well, if I eat this donut, like, you know, it might show up around my waistline. It's like, no, it'll show up on your skin. It'll show up on your waistline. It'll show up in how you think. It'll show up in your emotional balance. It'll show up in, like, all of these different ways. Um, You know, and I really value your story because, you know, like, I want more people to hear, like, you know, it may not be the carnivore diet for some people, you know, but, like, the, the broader scope behind this is that we just need to make dietary changes in general across the board, not in Canada and the U.S., but worldwide. Exactly. I attribute everything that my life is like at this moment to the way that I eat because I'm not living, I'm not trapped. I'm not a prisoner, you know, I'm not sad or unmotivated or tired. What got me the most when I was heavier was that I was too tired to run around with my one-year-old outside. A one-year-old's not even doing much. She's just outside on the yard, and I was too tired to do that. And that was sad, and I wanted, I want to be 60 doing cartwheels in the backyard with my grandkids. And the only way I'm going to do that is if I take care of the one thing that I have full control over, and that's my body, and that's my mind. Did you know that when we were in utero, 
our gut and our brain were both one tissue and they separated. So that's why there's so much correlation between food. I actually had no idea. You know, do they think that that's kind of like the base behind like the, the vagus nerve, you know, that has like obviously the direct connection from our gut to our brain? Yeah. That is because they were once one one tissue and they just separated. Wow. So that's why there's correlation between the two. Yep. So obviously you're kind of you like to geek out on stuff too. Like you're not just like I'm going to do this like clickbaity carnivore diet thing because it's like a hot topic right now. Like you've actually put some research into this carnivore diet and it's something that like you know that you've heavily researched it sounds like. Yes, definitely. Because Inflammation, it's a thing that everyone just kind of bypasses, like, oh, I got a headache, or my stomach hurts, or my ankle hurts. Yeah, that's stuff going on because there's inflammation building up in your body. Same with, like, that could be crystallization of oxalates. I'm sure as you're, how long have you been doing the carnivore diet? I guess that's my initial. Oh, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a newbie. I've, I've only been doing it for 16 days, and I'm actually doing it a part of, like, a six-month experiment, but I think like after the six months, I might uh, I might embark on it for a little bit longer because I feel like the first kind of like seven to ten days was just kind of like getting my body like the gears turning towards it because like I actually had an extremely successful diet before, but again like we there's a team of us that have come up with like this experiment. Um, you know, like I'm doing um, like X-ray body image body imaging. Uh, thermal body imaging, um, we're doing blood tests, you know, like, it's basically this whole big thing around my body about how all these different diets will affect, you know, like, my mind, my performance, you know, my body composition and all that kind of stuff. So we're doing the carnivore diet, and we're doing keto diet, we're doing plant-based, and we're doing it all, and we're seeing, like, what's going to be the best diet for me. Um, like, right now, I just happen to be on the carnivore phase of it. And stuff. So that's the beauty about uh, like Instagram and Facebook's algorithms, is because then they steer me towards people like you. And then you know, as I go through this journey, it, like I find like all these like great people that be able to share their stories and you know how they've got to this point too and stuff. But yeah, I'm only 16 days into it right now. And you're feeling pretty okay right now. I mean, initially you said you were kind of feeling weak, right? Tired or yeah, you know, and I think it was just because it was a huge change because. It basically was a 36-year refinement to get to my diet the way that it was before this. You know, like in, because I always look at diet as an, an evolving thing. I would never want to just do one thing statically, like forever. You know, so like, you know, between, you know, B12 and ginseng and my coconut oil and all probably like all these different foods, you know, like, and I'm like, um, like some plant-based foods and, you know, like, uh, like pasture-raised, grain-fed beef, like all these different like I've incorporated them all and I've refined it all down to finding exactly the things that allow me to be able to perform at my highest because, you know, like I might be in the, the back country for, you know, like 30, 40 miles one day or, you know, I, I might be squash and then working out and then going for a run. Like I, I'm a very performance endurance based person um, and I only sleep about four hours a night. So I need something that keeps me on the top of my game for all of that stuff. Um, you know, so it was a big adjustment because there was, there's an initial dip in energy, um, you know, just cause I think like I was primarily, um, like fat based, I had like ketones in my body. And then now I'm going through glycogenesis, you know, metabolizing this protein into glucose. 
And, you know, so it's kind of like flipped over, but now I feel like I'm there. But I also was intermittent fasting, so a big issue for me was like eating in the morning because now I'm starving in the morning. Like I wake up in the morning and I am ravenously hungry and I'm just not used to being hungry at all anymore. So like it's been a big adjustment, like retraining myself to like be like, okay, like I have to like prepare food at this time now because usually I do my first like eight or 10 hours a day fasting because I would plug my body with about six, 700 calories of fat before I'd go to bed. And then I'd wake up in the morning like like lean, energetic, and full of energy. Like so, I'd fast for about eight or ten hours, and then I'd have like my first meal after that. Okay, yeah, and I like how you mentioned that you're a carnivore baby in it because I I recommend that to everyone that starts carnivore because it is harder to fast. Like even going from a ketogenic diet into this carnivore lifestyle, you still have those twenty grams of carbs right that's still doing you some good and the second you go down to zero none it's almost like your body is going through another quote-unquote keto flu so once you get over that hump you know and listening to your body because we're so conditioned now in the keto world like keto means fasting as well well carnivore is more intuitive eating i don't know if you come across it or just noted a pattern Yeah, and your body metabolizes a protein a lot higher up in, in your intestine too, right? So like that's where they say like it almost triggers like a fasting-like environment in your body because where you actually break down and metabolize like um, like protein sources is just a lot higher up in your intestine. So like it triggers that response even though you're not going through a fasting state. It almost it tricks your body into think, thinking that you're fasting so you get some of the metabolic benefits of fasting even when you're not fasting as well. Um, is that something that you've yeah. heard as well? Yeah? yeah? Yeah. So how long have you been on the carnivore diet? Like like fill me in, like go A to Z with it. Like, I, I, like why did you start, like how, why the carnivore diet out of all the diets? Did you experiment with other diets? Because at 23 years old, you know, like, you know, like it just seems like you're so fine-tuned with your nutrition, you know, like that you'd even get to that process because most people that I run into, male and female, in their 20s, it's usually like I'm going to starve myself to the results or I'm just going to eat a bunch or drink a bunch of protein shakes until I get there. You know, like it's – so like how did you like at, at such a young age like latch onto this carnivore diet and how long have you been on it for? That's crazy. So, I would have never 
Never guess you're 200, you're over 208 pounds? Yeah, I just stopped looking at yeah. the scale at one point. So How I much do you weigh now? I weigh 128 pounds, and that's after gaining 10 pounds in lean body mass in the last four and a half months, five months. Wow, so, that's incredible. Yes, so the lowest I got was 119. Wow. That, like, what does that even feel like on your body? Like, like I can't even imagine lose, like, you know, like, you're, like, 80, 90 pounds, of, like, at least of, like, weight loss. Like, that, like, what is it, like, do you see yourself, like, in that lens still? Like, when you look at yourself in the mirror, like, do you still see that person? Do you still feel that person? Do you still have, like, the emotions attached to that person? Or is it all... So again, let's peel it back. Like, like how how the carnivore diet. Like, what was the first? Like, I you seen it on the internet. You heard people talking about it. Like, how did you get that first wheel going? With why you decided to get on the carnivore diet? Shape of my life, which is mind blowing to me. I have to remember that when I have knocked myself 
best shape of my life. I have really good energy, great focus, great mood, and I shouldn't be done all the carnivore animals. And I don't have cravings anymore or binge eating episodes, and I haven't had since August 1st. Yeah. So. I just like, I have like just so many questions. I'm going to start with because you were pregnant, like, is this something that you talked about with your doctors or healthcare professionals with? And if so, like, I imagine that you would have got resistance from it. Like, I can't imagine doctors being supportive of it unless if you happen to run into somebody like Dr. Sean Baker or something like that. Um, but, like, like, what was some of the feedback that you were getting from, like, people in your life because you made this choice and you were pregnant and then your healthcare professionals because of making this choice as well? Three girls. So, um, when your girlfriend or wife, when she was going in and I have her do the glucose test, I just refused to do it. And she asked me why. And I said, well, I eat zero carbs. And she goes, you eat no carbs, none whatsoever. I'm like, no one, that my understanding, that's what the glucose tolerance test is. You end up drinking just a bunch of sugar. And I know I'm going to feel that because I don't drink any anyway. So, in, in return, you're going to get a test back saying that I have gestational diabetes and I do not and she was just so concerned for my child she was like well she's growing she's gonna have what I remember one nurse telling me that my child might have one limb shorter than the other because she was being born through ketosis and I have a high amount of ketones in her body and that's gonna cause deformities or um, neurological disorders and let me just start off by saying my older daughter, she has a sensory disorder. When she was six months old, she was like a log, like no facial expressions, no laughing, nothing. But Cecilia, which is my younger one, she is so alert, so smart, and she's talking, she's you know, she's strong, she tries to hold her own bottle because I make her own formula, and I can see the differences between the two. But everyone was so concerned about how my child was going to turn out on a ketogenic carnivore diet, but they weren't concerned about my first daughter when I was stuffing my face with brownies, you know? Yeah. See, and I find that to be the irritating part of it. It's like, not only is there no real good solid evidence for these healthcare professionals, whether it's a doctor or a nurse, to say, you shouldn't be doing this because, because there is no case study on pregnant women, because for one, like morally, you would never run case studies on pregnant women to even see what the outcome is. But there's just not enough women who are birthing children on a carnivore diet or like a ketogenic diet that is going to say, okay, we're going to then get this baseline information from, you know, but then you're going to look back on like, you know, like different ethnic backgrounds, different socioeconomic status, like all of these different things. And if you're on a carnivore diet, are you eating, you know, grass fed, free range meats? Or are you eating like processed meats? You know, like I seen some guy on Instagram, he was eating pork rinds thinking he was on the carnivore diet because they were pork rinds. And I'm like, that, that, that's not the carnivore. Like, it just, so, you know, even if they did have information, like, what is that information from? But like you said, it steers people away from listening to their body, 
listening to their intuition and saying like, I feel like I should be eating meat. I'm going to eat meat. They were complimenting you on your weight gain, your baby's weight gain. You guys are perfectly healthy. Then you throw out this one bit of information and now they make you feel like you're a bad parent. You shouldn't be doing this. They're going to criticize you. You know, they're going to try to like steer you to these other professionals to help sway your opinion. But preceding that one little bit of information, they thought that you were a great mom doing the great thing for your child, great thing for your baby. And that to me is like the hardest part because we just, we, we, they want us to have blind faith in a system that does not have our best interests in mind because it doesn't even listen to us. Yes. What got me the most when I was having the conversation with my doctor is she was just so concerned about me having no carbohydrates at all, but she wasn't concerned about the amount of nutrients that I gained to my diet that I, I mean, I started consuming beef liver. What? I never would have eaten that before. I mean, I eat, ate some weird stuff when I was a kid, so I guess that's what um, made it less foreign to me now that I'm older, but that's what I considered my prenatal vitamin, beef liver. And she wasn't applauding that, saying, you are adding this great nutrient-rich food in your diet. Good job. She was like, oh, zero carbs. That's dangerous. Mm-hmm. It's just that disconnect there is sad to me. Yeah. Well, and considering that, like, we know, like, the highest level of athletes and predominantly a lot of, like, Olympic level athletes will switch to predominantly eating beef liver, you know, like a month or two before the Olympics because of the nutrient density into it to fuel their own bodies. You know, but if we look at that as in creating a human body or sustaining a body that's creating life, that you're not doing the right thing. You know, but like athletes will specifically do it for like recovery, repair, you know, energy, like everything because they know the value of it. But again, like you said, what's the difference between those two situations? Because you're actually accomplishing the same task at the end result of it. It just the face of it has two different looks. Exactly. And people are afraid of things that they're not that that are foreign to them. If it's foreign to them, then it just they don't want to hear about it. It's scary to be proven wrong because I mean I'm sure this doctor that has worked her entire life to know what she knows to be throwing something else in her way to challenge everything that she's thought. I can understand where she's like, well, yeah, I don't accept. That. I can understand it. Yeah, to an extent, but it still doesn't mean that it's right. I feel like as humans we should be open to evolving always and learning more and more and more. And the thing about a carnivore diet is all the nutrients are bioavailable and people forget that. It would take a lot of vegetables to for us to absorb all of them compared to just eating six ounces of meat, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, see, you know, you bring back like a really good point about the doctors. Like think of how many like doctors and nurses And then, like, our friends and family, like, if you would have said, like, oh, I'm just craving McDonald's today, and they'd be like, oh, that's typical, you're pregnant. Or, like, oh, I'm just going to go get, like, a tub of ice cream, and they're like, oh, don't worry about it, you know, like, you're pregnant. You know, like, like all those things, like, those things just become so socially acceptable, but you think of, like, the massive, like, impact of, like, inflammation and mucus buildup and, you know, like, gastrointestinal issues that all that junk food has, but that's completely okay. But, like you said, again, something like beef liver is not applauded. Like, that's just, like, the stark contrast between those two, right? Yeah. The first look I got from my friends, and there was three of us all pregnant at the same time, and they looked at me, and they're like, you're eating beef liver? And I said, yes. And they go, Priscilla, that's disgusting. I'm like, why is that disgusting? Can you let me know? People don't eat that. Actually, their ancestors grew up eating that. That's how we're here. Yeah. 
we utilized that stuff and they said don't you crave normal things like candy chocolate i'm like that's normal now but that is not normal that is now is what's going to grow a healthy human baby inside of me but isn't it does it does it scare you that that's what people think normal food is is like donuts and kfc and mcdonald's and candy and pop and ice cream like like that's what people think normal food is and if you step outside of that lane you know it's like yeah you're crazy and like what you just alluded to like for hundreds of thousands of years we have ate more along the lines of like how you're eating and how i'm eating right now than there ever being slurpees and donuts and you know like burger king and stuff like that where people are eating but like that has become so the norm that you'll be ostracized in your community if you don't consume that food and if you try to do something that's healthier for you and like you said more to all of our like ancestral roots no matter where we are from yeah and it really it saddens me i cannot describe the level of sadness i feel when i see people consuming these foods mindlessly like for an example think of a birthday party people are grazing all day on the candy the chips the chocolate the soda and then an hour later they're still hungry that that's not how we're supposed to be living when we eat a meal we should walk away satiated and be okay for a couple hours mm -hmm. Actually, that's the one thing that I find about this this carnivore diet is that I get satiated in a way that is very odd because like you just legitimately kind of get bored or tired. Like you just don't really think about taking another bite. But I could eat all day long, constantly. Like it just it it's weird because like I'm just not used to eating like that. But like the one thing I always say to people from like my ribs down to like my pelvis I don't even feel like I have a body anymore like it feels like I have this weird air zone that doesn't exist on my body and I don't know how to explain it to people properly because like I said out of all like whether like diets I've been on or competing for bodybuilding or like ultras or like just all the stuff that I've done I have never come across a diet where I have felt like I'm missing this middle half of my body and it just feels like somebody power washed the inside of my body and then forgot to give it back to me. Like have you ever felt anything like that before? So my question to you is, do you think it's the reduction in inflammation, like bloat or and discomfort maybe that it just feels, I don't know, peaceful in that area? I think that's definitely like like a very big portion of it for sure. Um, but the thing is, because of the diet that I was just on, like I've I've been eating like that for like years, just kind of making small subtle adjustments like along the way. Like I have very little like inflammation. I always feel great. Like I always felt lean and empty, but this isn't like lean and empty. This is just like gone. And I don't, it, it's just weird. Like, it's such a weird feeling. Um, because to me, like, you know, I've been on the curve of, like, eating more for performance than for, um, you know, for pleasure for years. You know, but people always think, like, you're crazy. Like, oh, like, I can't believe you'd eat for performance. I'm like, but all my, like, I probably log four or five hours worth of fitness every single day you know, usually about six days a week. If I'm not eating for performance, my performance is lagging. So like I lost the association with pleasure for food a long time ago and just going on like how my body feels. And I thought I was operating at like 
my optimal level, but this is like, it's totally different because I'm, I'm, my body is faster. Like initially I was a little bit slower, but now I've kind of flicked over this curve and I actually am lighter and I'm, I'm just as fast as before. So like my performance hasn't gone down at all. That's interesting to me because a lot of people think when you don't have any glycogen coming into your body that you're slower, that you won't be as strong, but I find it to be quite the opposite. Um, when I tried strength training a year ago, I couldn't lift the dang bar. It just was too hard for me. And even for, no, five months ago when I gave birth, you know, you're on a weight restriction. So I started back at baseline, just trying to lift the bar. So that's the bar's weight, 45 pounds that is. Now I can add 175 pounds to that and deadlift that. And that's in five months of growth of zero carbohydrates. And I'm just a woman. So can you imagine what a man that's power building can really do with that? I think it's powerful. And again, I can't, I can't stress the fact that that's without any carbohydrates. So it is possible to keep your athletic performance up with zero carbs. Yeah. Like what are what are some of like the big changes you know because like you know that that social media post that you made like a while ago is just saying like you know a lot of you know people in your life didn't know like where you were you know versus like where you are now you know maybe like walk me through like like emotionally and cognitively first like you know like where where were you at mindset wise when you were two hundred and eight pounds like what was your life like every day living in your own mind. I laid around the house, I did some lighthouse work, and I just remember just being exhausted doing everyday activities. I didn't want to go and socialize. I just wanted to be cooked up in my house. I was depressed. I was anxious all the time for stupid reasons. Going to the grocery store just gave me anxiety just to see people, and I had no real good reason for that, but that's the way that I felt. Um, if you were to ask me back then to have a podcast, I would not have done it. There was no way. <laughs> the nerves the nerves would have taken over. And then uh, I worked a simple job. I was at the server back then. So I was on my feet most of the time. So you would think that that's a lot of activity. But it wasn't because I was eating junk foods. I was just mowing on pies, brownies, soda in between. And I just wasn't living. Yeah. It, it's kind of a fog now that feels like it I mentioned this before we got cut out but I feel like that was a chunk of my life that I was born and then she died she's gone yeah <laughs> a new person was born when I lost the weight I can't explain the level of clarity and joy that I feel now now I feel when I look at my babies just genuine joy and I feel when I had my first daughter that there was some postpartum depression there there definitely was there was some emotional disconnect between me and my baby and that's sad after you have a baby you shouldn't be sad you should feel joy I mean you mm -hmm. just created a life for nine months and you gave birth to this beautiful little baby it's I think it's normal to feel joy when you look at that little baby I don't think we should normalize things like postpartum depression that's where we should wake up and be like, oh, okay, something's wrong. And a lot of these feelings of depression and anxiety are manifested from inflammation in the brain. And if you have an autoimmune disease 
or if something that you're consuming is triggering this inflammation, well, it only makes sense that you're sad. See, and you know, like the one point that you just brought up, which I think is like incredibly like critical, is that all of the things that we've normalized in today's culture, like anxiety, depression, hypertension, um, like heart disease, obesity, you know, like inactive lifestyles, you know, like poor nutrition, like like we've somehow molded into this environment that like we think like that is normal. Because somebody asked me the other day, they're just like. Like, you're so active all the time. Like, don't you worry about burning yourself out. You know, I'm like, well, if I'm on the go for maybe about 16 hours a day, and that's like a lot of that has output into like physical activity, you know, we've lived for hundreds of thousands of years doing like substantially more than that, and human beings never really got burned out. You know, but now we have um, the opportunity to have access to a lot more resources on a regular basis. You know, so we should be able to do more than what we were doing before, but we're actually doing like substantially less with a lot more negative impact. So, you know, like people may have died younger, you know, preceding life, you know, maybe like a thousand years ago, five thousand years ago, you know but they were doing way more off less you know it's because of things like they didn't have the ice creams they didn't have the cookies the brownies the pies you know there, there wasn't a lot of people that were 208 pounds like you know like there's a lot more people who are just like like eating off the land what what is something that you think that like people like how do you think we get people to turn that curve and like in everyday society saying like you need to start looking at how you're eating because it's directly affecting the rest of your life Yeah, you know, and that actually brings up a point that I was going to ask you too, and I'm just going to segue into that now so I don't forget. How do you think that we produce enough meat for, like, in healthy ethical sources, you know, like, without antibiotics, without steroids, without hormones, without, like, all this stuff? How do you think we do that if 
all of a sudden one day like everybody kind of bought in and said you know like this like heavy meat diet is the thing like like how do we even come close to accommodating that um it because so many people they won't eat heart they won't eat tongue they won't eat liver they won't eat kidneys like they won't eat a lot of these things so like even what we have so much of it goes to waste that is arguably some of the more nutritionally dense items like on this animal you know but like people refuse to eat them because the imagery to them in their mind is just too obscure they're like i could never imagine eating a tongue you know or i could never imagine eating a kidney or i could never imagine eating a heart like like how do you think we sustain people like on this diet when you know like commercial um you know like commercial cattle ranches and stuff like that like it, those commercial operations have such a big impact like not only on our planet but you know like just how much waste there is Yeah, you know, like I, I am such a bad person to ask for multiple reasons. I grew up on a farm in Southern Alberta because, and I'm used to it. Like, like, I the first time I ate cow testicles was probably when I was like five. You know, and my my great uncle and my dad laughed because you know, like my great uncle like had cows. Like when when my family came over from the Ukraine, essentially all the brothers, you know, like one of them was like cows and corn, another one's like wheat and barley. Like they all kind of, so they could trade amongst each other, right? And like help each other out so like i've always been around it and i've always hunted and i've always fished so like you know being around like hearts and livers and tongues and testicles and like all that like that's that's just to me like normal i don't understand why people wouldn't eat it like i have a hard time like understanding because to me i'm like 
well, it's meat and the science tells you that it's healthy. Like nobody's trying to lie to you about the micro and macronutrients that are available in this meat. Like, but like the face value, like people just get so scared to be like that person. But again, it was only probably about like a hundred years ago, maybe even less that people stopped eating organ meat. And like, I don't know what the point in time was when they stopped eating it or like, you know, when, when people think about like liver, they typically think like liver and onions. And I know for me, like, you know, people overcook liver so much. Yes, it tastes disgusting, but when you overcook a chicken breast, it's disgusting too. You know, so again, it's like, you know, but people like they want to call Uber Eats and skip the dishes and all that kind of stuff where like this food just comes. But if you don't even know how to prepare your own food, you're probably going to make everything taste disgusting, not just liver. Right. So I think if people kind of got back more into the kitchen, you know, and understood how to be able to like, you know, prepare these foods, they realize that they actually don't taste that bad. And they drop this stigma that it's disgusting to eat a liver or disgusting to eat a heart or disgusting to eat a kidney. Like there, it's just it's nutrient rich food, you know, and again, like there's a lot of animals that will only eat the organs out of a, another animal. They won't even eat the flesh. So like, you know, when we look at like all these things like nature tells us this science tells us this, you know, taste will tell us this. But again, with the world that we live in today, it's like the face value. Like people just don't want to be that person. Like when I go to the butcher shop and I buy a beef tongue, you know, like I don't think twice about it, you know, but I know when I look around, people are looking at me like, what are you doing? Like, that's disgusting. You know, but I'm like, you've obviously never had tongue before because tongue tastes fantastic. So. Tongue's actually my favorite. Like, out of the entire cow, tongue's my favorite, so. <laughs> yeah. You know, and like, but but people don't want to experiment, you know, and, and the the worst part to me, like the most, the, the biggest injustice about this COVID-19 thing is like how they say they're tracing it back to animals. You know, or like, you know, like how, like, and, and I'm like, look, you know, I'm like, at the end of the day, when there was the avian flu, did people stop eating, um, like, uh, like poultry products? No, because poultry products have been so hyper normalized or, you know, when there was the swine flu, did people stop eating pork? No, you know, it's like, you know, people didn't stop eating that. We didn't stop selling it. You know, like there's listeria all the time from us, like packaging and processing these meats, but we never... We don't stop with the pork, the chicken, the turkey, and the beef. But the minute us in North America think that there's an animal that somebody's eating outside of that, it's like immediately, oh, you guys are disgusting. That's wrong. Like, I think that's the biggest shame and the biggest injustice to this whole thing is like criticizing, you know, what is right now Chinese people for eating things that are not a cow, a, a pig, or a chicken, or a turkey. Like, I have a really hard time with that, actually. Yep. I mean, people don't even eat real butter or lard anymore or, or any or suet. If you tell someone that you eat suet, they say, what is that? Yeah. You know? So I, I think that we need to fix that and we need to kind of go backwards a little bit. And that's where I find beauty within the carnivore society because we are emphasizing the entire animal, eating all parts of it and realizing again how nutrient rich each part of the animal really is. Does a kidney sound fantastic? No, it doesn't. 
but once you actually cook it up, you add some seasonings, it's like any other meat. You just got to get past it. I have a friend, and she is just so disgusted by the fact of red meat, tongue, anything, but I actually snuck tongue in her shredded beef. I told her it was, and she ate it just fine, and I told her after the fact. And she was so bothered that I didn't tell her that it was tongue at at first but she enjoyed it so much and I told her see it it was just that mental thing that you're brainwashed by that that's not food because when you go to the grocery store what do you see you just see all the muscle meats you don't see organs laid out in a row for you so of course there's disconnect or little kids always say ew prissy because they yeah. see me with my heart or whatever I have going on or chicken gizzards whatever they just think it's so odd because it's not it's not normalized it's mm -hmm. You don't see it everywhere, so of course they're not going to be in tune with it. I guess I can't wrap my mind around it because to me it's so foreign. I'm open to try anything and everything if I know it's going to benefit me. And not many people look at it that way. Yeah. So I guess that kind of like leads me to like, what are some of the things that like you were like, like meat sources? Like, because that's the thing for me, like I've tried to pick like 12 or 15 different meat sources from like, like oysters, clams, mussels, squid fish, uh, beef, pork, chicken, turkey, lamb, uh, moose, uh, black-tailed deer. Like, I just, like, I've really tried to pick, like, a variety of sources just because, like, I'm obviously a firm believer that there's, like, a little bit of benefit in everything and variety is going to be, like, my key. Like, like where where do you lie in that? Like, like how far do you go? Do you search out a lot of variety or do you primarily stick to beef because you guys buy the, the cow, um, like, about every six months or a year? Like, what's your, what do you do? Yeah, so when I was pregnant and when I was nursing, I prioritized all of my micronutrients. So I knew I had to get egg yolks, I knew I had to get oyster, I knew I had to eat some seafood, I knew I had to eat some liver, um, even the entire eggs, not just the egg yolk, because I mean, eggs are nature's beautiful food. But beef, beef made me feel good. And I, I live in an area where I can know that it's grass-fed, grass-finished, I don't need to travel far for it, so that's predominantly what I stuck to, and now that I am not nursing anymore, um, I just predominantly stick to meat, not because I don't like variety, I really do like pork and chicken, some days I do go out and get a pasture-raised chicken, again, I have a lot of local farmers that can do that, and um, I like variety, I just like beef more, it makes me feel the best, ground beef actually to be specific, I don't know if it's because it's minced already and easy for my body to digest or because it's not just one muscle meat, it's a whole bunch of different parts of the cow ground up, so I'm getting an array of nutrients, I'm not exactly sure the science behind that, it's just a theory, but ground beef makes me feel the best, so that's what I stick to, I don't really get bored of eating the same thing every day. Yeah, see and, and like that's actually funny that you say that, like it's like like there is actually like science behind that because like you're take you're making it easier for your body to be able to digest you know a more nutrient dense product right you know so like it doesn't have to spend all the time and like with that time of breaking it down there's also inflammation that's going to be associated like to that breaking down process so you kind of like stuck the the beef in the blender so it just it streamlines the process and stuff so it's great. The one thing I've actually really found that I'm leaning towards more and more all the time is minced lamb. Like, I just find it to be, like, my body just craves that now, like, crazy. I don't know why, but, like, I feel like it tastes better than ground beef. Um, like, I feel like like the like the density seems different, and my I feel like my body gets, 
um, more from it. Like, do you have you ever ate much lamb while you've been on this carnivore diet? Yeah, absolutely. It's so good. And I love the fat on the lamb, actually. And science has proven that women actually need a little bit more fat than men. So that's probably why we crave it a lot more, just for hormonal reasons. But the fat on lamb has such a good, um, like, 70, what, 30 ratio on it. So it's just my perfect slab of meat. I actually like the lamb leg the most i don't know if you've ever had one but that's yeah. my favorite most people say that a ribeye is their favorite i love lamb leg i love for whatever reason lamb shoulder is like if i have to pick like one thing just like that shoulder like joint like ran there there's something about like all the connective tissue there and like well like my mouth is like watering talking about it <laughs> that's so funny but i actually like yeah you know, I feel like that's one of the beauties of, like, living in, in Vancouver, B.C., because, you know, being right beside the ocean, you know, like, we have so much access to, like, you know, crab and, you know, fish and oysters and, like, all that kind of stuff because the ocean's, like, right here. But, you know, like, we also have, like, a lot of, like, like the holistic presence is big out here. Um, you know, like, so there's, like, a lot of ethically raised animals and stuff, too. Um so, like, we kind of get, like, a really good best of both worlds, you know, like, where you said, you, like, you're around a lot of farming, but I imagine, like, fresh fish and all that kind of stuff is probably a little bit harder for you guys to get. Yes, yes. So, um, Butcher Box, I'm sure you've heard of it. Yeah. That's where I would get my salmon from when I was pregnant because I was sure that it would, that it was good quality. But now that I'm not pregnant, I don't really prioritize getting fish anymore just because um, grass-fed ground beef or any part of the cow really it has such a good omega-3 ratio anyways i don't really worry about it too much yeah yeah i really want butcher box to come to canada but it's not it's just kind of like in the lower 48 right yeah 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 um what was it i didn't say oh man i just had so many like questions like floating around in my mind um do you think that like you at all or a part of like a honeymoon stage within the carnivore diet or do you think that you've been so far past that now where you know like you've you've come out of the like honeymoon stage and like this is just how your body is going to feel um or do you even believe in the honeymoon phase of any diet no i definitely do believe in the honeymoon phase because when i was on keto i felt on top of the world essentially i cut out all the crap so of course i felt better but even on keto, I would have binge eating episodes where I would just eat and eat and eat, not feel satiated, and then I would end up cheating. I would just eat crap. And on carnivore, I have not had that at all. So I think that's where I'm so in love with the diet that I don't feel the need to eat and eat and eat until the point where I'm just going to explode or the fact that I would crave pizza and stuff and I was still struggling with that on keto and I think that's important to know that carnivore fixed that for me and I think it's because of all the nutrients that my body's actually absorbing now so I'm not starving it's not thinking seeking more because it's actually satiated and the honeymoon phase I didn't really have a euphoric moment with carnivore I just knew that this is the way of eating for me because I already was fat adapted with keto despite all of the cheats that I had in between I already was well fat adapted so just jumping into carnivore wasn't a struggle it was more of like keto on crack have you ever heard that phrase before no I haven't 
I've heard a couple other people in the community feel the same, that they felt great on keto, but carnivore just was the icing on the cake. It's just... It is a really easy transition, though. Like, I'm glad that my diet was predominantly um, ketogenic before going on this, because, like, once I transferred over, I was, like, just kind of, like, losing the hummus and the vegetables and, like, a few things like that. Like, it was hard at the beginning, but I realized a lot of that was out of routine. It wasn't necessarily that, like, my body was, like, I think, like, really wanting that. It was more just, like, I'm used to eating this at this specific time. It was hard to break, like, the habitual side of it. Um, but, like, now, like, I find that, like, I actually just crave meat sources. Like, I don't really crave anything else. Like, I just want, like, like I crave minced lamb. Like, when I think about, like, oh, what do I need? I'm like, oh, I just wish I could make some minced lamb right now. Like, that becomes, like, a priority to me. You know, like, I don't even think about other foods in any regard the way that I used to think of, of other stuff, for sure. Um, I have a few questions for you in regards to, like, training and all that kind of stuff. Like, like what do you do for, like, workout? Like, what are your, what are your training protocols? I seen that picture that you posted it in the sauna yesterday, I think. Um, it was. So, like, obviously, like, sauna... Yeah, sauna is a part of your protocol. Um, maybe just go, like walk me through like what do you do like like for like fitness and like you know obviously the biohacking stuff like like sitting in the sauna. Okay, so I work out for two hours a day. I try to go every single day, and after five days of going hard in the gym, I kind of listen to my body and do an active rest day. But I still show up in the gym. I walk and I sauna. But a typical day would be a heavy lift. So whatever compound movement I decide to do, so it's deadlift, squat, or chest press, is what my main movement would be, as heavy as I can go. And then I take about a 15-minute rest in between that, and then I do some hypertrophy work. So whatever section of my body I'm trying to do, whether it's upper or lower or both, I make a little mental note in my head if I want what kind of circuit I want to do. So back, triceps, chest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's lower body, it'll be quads, um, glutes, hamstrings, and then just cycle through that. And I'll just do it until my muscles are really fatigued. And that'll take up about an hour of my time because I'll do a couple circuits. And then I'll do hit afterwards. I don't do it every day. I do it three days now. And this is something I just started implementing a few weeks ago because I feel up to it now. Now that I've passed the point of surgery, is past the point of postpartum. Now that I have, you know, my strength training down, now I feel like I want to do more. So I do a hit on the stair climb for 15 minutes. And I like, I like to sauna. So even if I'm in there for 15 minutes or if I'm in there for half an hour, I just try to put that in the couple hours I have. How did you come up with this protocol? Like, like you know, doing like a like a heavier compounded lift like at the beginning, and then doing like you know like isolated work after, and then this hit, and you know like an active rest day sauna protocol. Like, like how did you design that? Did you have help or like? Because the thing is, like I like, do you have like education in training and nutrition? Like maybe like fill me in on like how how you kind of came about all of this.
and on their YouTube channel, I see that they follow this protocol, and I was like, hey, I feel up to it, I'm going to do it too, and and I like it, so I've adapted their workout style, and the HIT, um, a lot of people don't recommend doing HIT on a zero-carb diet, but I feel the need to I feel like I'm missing that little, I'm used to lifting, I'm used to fatiguing my muscles, now I want a little more, something that's more challenging, so the hit is where, um, where that comes into play, and the sauna, I just, that's my me time, that's where I just sit in there and it feels good, I can be with my thoughts, or listen to a podcast, whatever it is, but that's my me time. Oh, that's awesome, how long have you been sauning for? What do you what do you feel are some like the benefits like do you feel just like connecting with yourself and kind of bringing yourself back to homeostasis or just being in the sauna like that's your benefit or do you actually notice you know like a reduction in inflammation a preservation of muscle tissue you know like um you know like the dopamine release like do you do you feel like the science behind it or do you just feel like more the holistic side behind it So you mentioned like like cold shock therapy. Like, do you do you ice bath at all? Do you jump in a cold lake, glacier lakes? Like, what do you do? Anything cold related, or do you just strictly stay in the sauna? So now in the mornings, I take a cold shower. I can only do thirty seconds. I'm so weak when it comes to the cold, <laughs> but I can sit in the sauna for half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> but when it was super cold, like negative fifteen around here, I would just go outside for yeah. a minute. And, and the funny thing is, like, I know with my kids, like, they don't want to wear jackets. Like, I think there's a part of us, like, like, our intuition is just, like, I don't need all of this. You know, like, you know, and again, it's like the old wives' tale. You know, if you go outside without a jacket on, you're going to get sick. It's like this magic bacteria that floats around in cold air that gets you sick. 
you know, versus being in like that cold environment that actually increases your white blood cell count, actually helps your immunity. Like it actually has completely the opposite effect if you do allow yourself to be exposed to those elements. You know, like there's a ton of benefit to strengthening your immune system, be able to combat, you know, any environment, which is interesting because at the same time when it's cold, we're typically trapped inside with more people. But if we would go outside a little bit, we'd help strengthen our immune system for when we are trapped inside with people, you know, but like somehow we lost that in translation too, which uh, I actually love sitting, um, like we designed an ice bath it actually has circulating water that it circulates at minus one degree Celsius. So it's below freezing. So there's always a thin layer of ice that's on top of it. Um, but we put Epsom salts in it and a circulating pump. So um, we left it one day and the whole thing just froze completely solid. And it's inside of like a big metal tank that looks like a bomb. So we pop the latch on the top and you sit in and just your head sticks out. It's on my Instagram. If you like scroll through, you'll probably see it on there. Yeah, in like 10 minutes in that, like your body's completely frozen, but like the norepinephrine release from it, I actually prefer the norepinephrine release from ice baths um, than the dopamine release from sauna, because I can do about an hour in the sauna um, at 140 degrees Fahrenheit, and I don't get the same nootropic effect that as I do in five minutes in an ice bath. Yeah, the, the one specific thing that I find with, you know, being in the, the cold immersion um, is that, like, I actually, like, like literally feel like you feel, like, the norepinephrine is so strong because I think there's so many things that release dopamine that we kind of get accustomed to what that feeling actually feels like, but there's very few things that release norepinephrine in that kind of abundance. So like when you do get that kind of surge in your body, it's just like you don't even really know how to be able to handle that situation. It is just like I think that if you get used to doing the cold shock therapy, like the thing is just to plunge in and just in my mind, I zero in on just trying to prevent myself from shivering. Because once you start to shiver, it's all downhill after that. Like it's like seconds and you're about to get out. But if you can just be... It forces you to meditate a lot, like it, like just be with inside you at a lot deeper of a level than what I feel like it does in the sauna. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, is there anything else that you, that you want to add? I see that my phone here now that we're on on WhatsApp, it just gave me a little alert that I have five percent battery left, so our conversation might get cut off even if we don't want it to. Um, is there anything you want to throw out there for everybody thinking about hopping on a carnivore diet or all for all the skeptic haters out there of people on carnivore diets? So for the people that are skeptics and don't think this is going to work, my advice to you is just to try it for 30 days. 30 days, try it and get back to me. And I think that they're going to be really surprised with them to the, within themselves and the benefits that this diet holds. And for the ones that are doing it already and predominantly focusing on muscle needs, I think that they should expand their thoughts to eating raw fats and eating more organs because the whole animal is beautiful and I think we need to appreciate more. We can't just all be eating ribeyes every single day, day in and day out. It's delicious, I get it, but I think that there's 
more to this diet that we need to start considering and to stop wasting the animals because that's where we get backlash is how are we going to sustain this and the only way we're going to sustain this way of eating is if we eat nose to tail mm-hmm. so that's all i gotta add right now awesome why don't you drop some social media handles just in case if somebody wants to reach out to be able to to get a hold of you to ask you any questions How did you come up with that nutrient dense enthusiast? I actually thought that was a pretty creative uh, social media handle when I first seen it. Thank you. Um, it was because I was so in awe of all the nutrients that animal products can um, be available to you and the way that we absorb them so efficiently. So I'm just enthusiast about <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Priscilla. I really appreciate you spending your time on this uh, afternoon here, evening there, um, to be able to help educate all of us. I really appreciate it.